Now we're getting back into 1 Corinthians here in our series, back into chapter 8, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 8. So if you've been here for the past several months, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, now we are in chapter 8. So in chapters 1 through 6, Paul uh, spent a lot of time addressing things that he wanted to address, things that he wanted to talk with the Corinthian church about. In chapter 7, there was a change where he said, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So in chapter 7, Paul changes and begins to say, okay, you guys wrote to me about certain things that were on your mind, certain things that you wanted to discuss, certain views that you had, and I want to address those things. So in chapter 7, Paul talked about marriage, um, divorce, remarriage, singleness, and, and that huge topic, because that was something the Corinthian church wrote to him about. Now, in chapter 8, he's going on to a different topic, the topic of food sacrifice to idols. Now, it's a short chapter. It's only 13 verses, so I'm going to read through it all at once and then go through it again more slowly and, and talk about it. So it says this, Now concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. So, going back to the top here, this topic, new topic here, now, now concerning the next topic, now that we've talked about marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness, now let's talk about food offered to idols. So, what is going on here? Now, this deserves some explanation because this is very different from 
Um, at least the culture that probably most of us are familiar with, culture that we experienced growing up here in America. Um, there, there isn't really very much of food being offered to idols or these sacrificial um, cultic meals taking place. But in Corinth, 2,000 years ago, there was a ton of this stuff. It was happening all over the place. And, and what this was, was in a city like Corinth, there were temples to many different gods in this Greco-Roman culture that they were in. And there were temples to Artemis, temples to Jupiter, temples to this god, temples to that god, all sorts of temples all over the place. And a very common thing that would happen is that there would be sacrificial meals where people would come, worshipers would come, and they would bring an animal as sacrifice to that god, let's say to Jupiter. And they would present that bull to Jupiter, and the priests of Jupiter would take the bull and they would kill it. They would offer part of it to Jupiter. They would take part of it for themselves as their um, sustenance and the, as their pay. And then they would take some of it and give it back to the people who were there in the temple, the guys who brought the bull. And then they would cook it and they would eat it right there inside the temple in, in honor of Jupiter and in worship of Jupiter in this sacrificial meal together. And this was a part of the worship that was really, really common in this time. And now, what the Corinthians were doing is they were, they were writing to Paul, and they were asking him about this topic. And basically, they were, they were asking, Paul, what do you think about this? Do you think that this is okay? And I, I have a hunch, based on what Paul wrote here in his letter, that a lot of the Corinthians were thinking that this is okay. Why do I say that? Because of this first verse here, when it says, all of us possess knowledge. What is it? Can you guys see behind me here? Okay. All of us possess knowledge. Now, those quotation marks are not there in the original Greek manuscripts. Those are uh, editorial insertions by the translators of this version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, because they think that this was a Corinthian slogan that people were saying. And if you've been here for the other messages, there are various other slogans that, that we think they may have said, you know, the food for the stomach and the stomach for food and other things like that. And I think they're right about this, that this was a slogan that the Corinthians had. They're saying all of us possess knowledge. Now, what was this knowledge that they were saying? They were saying because of this knowledge that we have, it's okay to go eat in the temple of Jupiter to go eat this food that was sacrificed in. What is this knowledge? Well, the knowledge, let me skip down here, again, to verses four through six, is this. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. What the Corinthians are saying is, Paul, it's not a big deal to go eat in the temple of Jupiter. Why? Because we have knowledge. What is that knowledge? We know that... All of these other gods are fake. They are not real gods. That is the teaching of Christianity. We are monotheists. 
We believe that not all roads lead to heaven. There is only one road that leads to heaven. It is through the man and God, Jesus Christ. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. We believe that with all of our heart and that that is what the scriptures teach. There is only one God, and that is the Lord, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who exists in the triune Godhead. They're saying, Paul, we know that. We know that Jupiter is not a real God. We, we believe that there are no other gods except the Lord, except the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he made everything. He made that meat in the temple of Jupiter. And we know that because that is the case, it's not a big deal if we go and we eat. Now, all these, my friends, these worshipers, worshipers of Jupiter who invited me, my friends, they're worshiping as they're eating. They're doing this in honor of Jupiter, but not me. I'm just there for the BBQ, man. Like, you know, meat is expensive. 2,000 years ago, it's not like now, America, you go eat as much meat as you want. Back then, meat was expensive. Most people didn't get to eat meat all the time. My friend's going to invite me to barbecue at, at their temple, and they do it upright in the temple of Jupiter, and I'm going to pass on that? Because of Jupiter? No, man, I know God is the only God, so I'm going to, why not? Make, you know, go get some BBQ, right? Jesus said be as shrewd as serpents, but as innocent as doves. I'm innocent in there, but I'm shrewd, man. Free food, free BBQ, I'm there. We have that knowledge, so it's okay. That's the knowledge that they're talking about, right? But what does Paul say? Paul says, this knowledge this knowledge that you have puffs up. In other words, it's like a, like a rooster that just puffs up his chest, right? Walks around like, you know, like I'm the, I'm the man in this chicken coop, right? I'm the man, all puffed up, all proud. Knowledge puffs you up, but love builds up. What is Paul saying? He's saying that's good that you have that knowledge, and that knowledge is absolutely true. You're right about that knowledge. But knowledge isn't all there is. There's also love. And love is preeminent. Love is what is truly important. The goal of Christian life, Paul is saying, is not just knowledge, it's not just to know more about God. It's not just to read all sorts of books about God. It's not even just to read your Bible and have it memorized and know so much about the scriptures and facts and truths about God. But if that knowledge doesn't lead to love, you are missing the whole point. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of spiritual things, the knowledge of the truth of the scripture. It should lead all of us, it should affect us in such a way that we become people who love God and we love our neighbors around us. That should be the effect of knowledge. Paul's saying if, you, if you, all you do is you are concerned with gaining knowledge, all that's going to do is lead to pride. It's going to lead to you wanting to show off all that you know and rub it in other people's faces and think that you're better than others. That's pride. That's what the Pharisees did. That's not what knowledge is for, man. It should lead to love. Love, love, love. It is so important. So he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, 
he does not yet know as he ought to know. What Paul's saying is that, you know, if you think that you have arrived because of your knowledge, because you know so much, then, man, you actually don't know very much at all. You don't know anything. If you think that you've got this down, you've arrived because I know so much. I know things about God. I know truth about Scripture. He says, if you feel like you've arrived, then you actually don't know anything. The famous, probably the most famous physicist of the, one of the most famous physicists of the 20th century, Stephen Hawking, said, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. When we think we know something, then you don't really know. That's what Paul's saying. You Corinthians, you think you have knowledge, you think you know, but actually that just shows how little you actually know. And this is serious. Because in verse 3, he says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What he's saying is, you know, you can know all that stuff, but if you love, if love for God comes out of you, if love for those around you comes out of you, if that is in your life, then that means not only that you know things about God, but that you are known by God. Now, let the weight of that sink in for a moment. What he's saying here is that you can know all these facts about Christianity. Maybe you were the, you know, maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you were the, the, the Bible trivia champion when you were in your youth group. Maybe you have all these verses memorized. But if in your life you're not walking in love towards God and towards people, God may not even know you. In other words, you may not actually be a Christian. This is how important love is. And we need to ask ourselves, all the knowledge that we have, all the books that you've read, all the Bible that you know and you've memorized, all the retreats that you've gone to, that stack of retreat pamphlets that you have at home that you can't throw away because you're a hoarder, right, like me, you know, all that knowledge that you have, is it resulting in a life that is marked? by deeper and deeper love for God and for people. That's what counts. When you come on a Sunday and you listen to me talk, it's not just about listening to me talk, but does the word of God result in a greater love in your life for God and for people? Does it change you? Later in the same book of 1 Corinthians, Paul will go on in one of the most famous and beautiful chapters that everybody uses in their weddings, He'll go on to say, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, it is nothing, nothing, nothing. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't lead to love. Paul wrote in Galatians, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, that's the problem. These, the, the religious leaders, so many of them in the days of Jesus, you know, back then to be a Pharisee, to be a religious leader, you had to have the Torah 
memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we can't even get through Leviticus reading it. We can't even read through it without falling asleep, right? It's so, it's so difficult sometimes. Like, oh gosh, all these laws. They had to have that memorized. They had to have that memorized. And oftentimes the Psalms and the Proverbs memorized as well. These religious leaders, they knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. And what did Jesus say? You know the law so well, yet you tie up these heavy burdens. You put them on men's backs. You don't even lift a finger to help them. They didn't love their neighbor. They didn't love Jesus. That knowledge, actually, at the end of the day, with that knowledge, they went and they crucified Jesus. The whole law, all of that knowledge should result in love. That's the bottom line. All this knowledge should result in how we love people. So, in chapter 8, so then, what does it look like to walk in love when it comes to eating meat sacrificed to idols? What does it look like? So Paul's going to kind of lay this out. Hey, you got that knowledge? That's really good. I agree with you. There's only one God. These idols are not real. But we need the, love, the knowledge to be built on the foundation of love. So what does that mean? Okay, when it comes to eating meat, sacrifice to idols, what does it mean to be loving when it comes to this topic? So he says in verse 7, However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Now, there's a lot going on here, and there are different views about what's happening in different ways. Here's, here's what I think is happening. Now, I, I certainly believe that what's happening is taking place in the temple. I think Paul makes that clear later on in this chapter. So this is happening in the temple. And what he's saying here is that, hey, Corinthians, you, some of you, may have crystal clear knowledge that there's only one God, Jupiter's not a real God, and that when you go there, you're just getting free barbecue. And, and, and that's all that's happening there. You may have crystal clear knowledge about that, and that's, that's good for you. But not everybody has this knowledge. Not everybody understands that this is the case. In fact, there are some people, there are some Christians amongst you, maybe some younger believers or some people who are still working out things in their faith. Some people also who, through their former association with idols, in other words, there were people who were so deeply entrenched in idol worship that can't do what you do, that don't have this knowledge. You see, there were people in the Corinthian church who they grew up all around idols. Man, in their homes were idols. There were, there were statues made of wood, silver, stone to different gods. They wanted to cover all their bases, make sure they were worshiping all the right gods. When they walked out of their house, there were idols on the streets and statues like, like Paul in Athens saying, I walked through your city and I saw all these monuments to different gods, all these altars. And they would go regularly when their friends were worshiping at a temple, and they got invited, and they went to eat all this food, and they were eating that food, and they were worshiping those gods, whichever god it was, when they were there in the temple. There were people who, in their former association, were so deeply entangled into this that even though they're Christian now, 
even though they have this proper understanding that there is one God, they've been taught that, they believe that, but this was just so deeply entrenched in their life that they still can't really separate it. So when they're there and they're eating, there's something like going on in their head and their heart. I, I, I know Jupiter's not real. I know there's only the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I know this, but I still feel like I'm worshiping Jupiter when I do this. That, there were people like that. And when they see you, who have knowledge, going in to eat, and they say, oh, Ulysses is going to eat. Maybe I should go eat as well. And then, but because of their former association, they end up getting entangled in idolatry. That's what was happening there. I know, you know, it's like, um, it's like, uh, you know, there are things that we know, but we just can't disentangle. Like, uh, you know, if you're, let's say you're at my house and I have a basement. And I say, oh, you know, hey, um, can you do me a favor? The light bulb went out in my basement. It's pitch black down there. My back hurts. Could you go down there and change the light bulb for me? You just have to walk down the stairs, hold the banister, walk down, and then just keep your hand along the wall and go all the way into the back, all the way in the back of the basement. It'll be pitch dark, but it's fine. There's nothing to fall. You won't trip. And then here's the light bulb. Go, can you change that for me? Some of you would say, no way, man. No way. Why? Because you're scared of the dark. <laughs> well, is that rational? No. You know, it's my basement. I'm, I'm not going to be waiting down there in a clown suit for you, right? I'm upstairs. There's nothing in the basement. You're an adult. You know this. But you still won't do it. Why? Because through your former association with horror movies, with whatever it is you watched, your little, your, your brother scaring you one day with the clown suit down in the basement, something was so, you were so deeply entangled in it, you won't go down there. And you're a 40-year-old man. You're a 50-year-old man. It doesn't matter. You won't go down there. No way. Is that rational? That's not rational. But it's just so deeply embedded in there. You're like, nah, I'll pay for a handyman. I'll pay for a handyman to come fix that. There, there, there are people, the Corinthians are like, yeah, I, we got this knowledge. Paul's saying, no, there are people there that they can't disentangle this. And they, when they go and they eat there, they fall into idolatry. Romans 14, Paul says this, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I think that's a good picture of what's happening with some of these Corinthians. They were not sure of what, ah, should I eat it? Oh, Jupiter, I don't know, man. I used to, eh. and then just do it. And then they end up getting entangled in idolatry and there's some type of idolatry and worship going on when they're there and they're eating. So that's what's happening. But Paul, in verse eight, it's like he comes back to it again. He says, but hey, Listen, we know food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. It's like he's coming back and saying, hey, I know, I know, I know there's no God but one. I know that that food, it doesn't matter. Jupiter's not real. That food, we, we understand that. That is well established, okay? I understand. It's like he's coming back and he's reminding us of that again. But he says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that, you know, you have a lot of um, quote-unquote rights. Yeah, that, that you can eat that meat, and you know Jupiter's not real. That's not a wrong thing in and of itself. It's not right and wrong. And we're going to get into later chapter 10, which is kind of a different story. But at least for now, this con- what he's talking about here is he's saying you, you, have, you have this knowledge. You have the right to eat that. Yes, you do. But it is not just about your rights. See, that word right there in the Greek is exousia. It can be translated freedom. You have the freedom to eat that meat. You have the liberty to eat that meat. You have the right to do that. And you know, in America, we love our rights, don't we? We love our, we're a very Western individualistic society. We love our rights. The Bill of Rights, the right to, right to privacy, the right to, uh, you know, life, life, what is it? Life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. Am I mixing that up with movies or social studies? I, I don't know. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have that right. I have the, I have the right to an attorney. I have the right to choose Coke or Pepsi. I have the right. I have the right to. We love our rights. We don't like it when people impinge upon our rights. We don't like it when people try to take away our rights. Paul's saying is, yeah, you do have rights, but you also need to take care that you don't stumble other people. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you have rights, but you don't live in a vacuum. The things that you do have an effect upon other people. And you need to take that into account because that is the rule of love. That's the loving thing to do. It's not just about your rights and your liberty and your freedom, but how is what you're doing affecting those around you? We need to take care to think about that. I remember in 1993, there was this commercial that came out. I'm aging myself, but Charles Barkley came out with this commercial. I don't know if some of you might remember it, where he's on the basketball court, he's looking all mean, and he's like pounding this basketball, and he says, I am not a role model. You guys remember this commercial? Some of you might remember this commercial. I am not a role model. And he says, your parents, parents are kids' role models. I am not a role model. Which is so ironic, right? Because it's a commercial for Nike, and they want people to look at him and buy the sneaker that he's willing to wear. He's wearing Nikes. Oh, I want to emulate you. It's a total contradiction. But the reality is he is a role model, right? He, is, he does have an influence on other people. As much as he says, I am not a role model, he is a role model. He influences other people. As much as we may say, hey, I'm going to do my thing, and you worry about you, I'm going to do me. Right? That's a big saying now. Like, you do you, I'll do me. But what we do influences, has an effect on the people around us. And there are many things in life that may be technically okay. They are technically all right. But Paul says, you've got to take care. Is that right? Stumbling others the weak, those who may be less mature than you, those who maybe, because of their past, may struggle in particular ways with something. And if you flaunt that right in front of them, it's going to lead to them stumbling and being hurt. We need to think about that. So he says, verse 10, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, 
this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. This is why I think what's happening here is taking place in the temple. So what Paul is saying is, look, if somebody who had this former association with idols, and he was struggling with this, he's like, you know, I really shouldn't go to the temple of Jupiter. I really shouldn't do that. I shouldn't eat this food that's sacrificed to him. But you know, man, the food is good. Man, if we, oh, I remember those days when I had barbecue once a week because I had so many friends inviting me. Now I eat meat once every three months or twice a year or something like that. Man, I remember those days. And then all of a sudden, they say, hey, is that Ulysses in the temple of Jupiter? He's eating there. Oh, I guess it's okay. If he's eating there, then maybe it's okay. Maybe I'll go there and eat. And he goes and he goes to eat there because he sees me. But he, in his conscience, he has this entanglement and he ends up worshiping in idolatry in some way. And then me, I end up destroying my brother. There's a play on words here. When he says, will he not be encouraged when he sees you? Remember in verse 1, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This word encouraged is builds up as well. It's the same word in Greek. So he's saying love builds up. But what are you doing when you do this? You're building your brother up. You're encouraging him to go to the temple. You're building him up only to tear him down. That's what you're doing when you do this. When he sees you and he walks in there and does the same thing, you're building him up to tear him down. Now, it's not clear if destroyed means that this brother or sister walks away from the faith entirely. It could be. It could be that idolatry leads down the road of him walking away from the Lord. Or it could just mean that he's really discouraged or he gets confused. Either way, he's taking a hit. He's taking a hit when we wound his conscience. Paul's saying we do not live in isolation. This is not about legalism. Please, I think Paul would want us to know this is not legalism. This is not about your rights. That's not what this is about. This is about the exact opposite of legalism. It's about law, the law of love. Knowing that as Christians, we live in community. And the things that we do have an effect upon other people. You know, this became really clear to me um, several years ago. You know, our church renewal was planted out of our, our sister church, or mother church, up in San Francisco, Radiance, Radiance Christian Church. And I remember, um, you know, so I was on staff there for a year, getting ready to come down here and plant the church. And one year, they had this missions fundraiser. You know how we're, we have a mission trip to Guatemala? They had a fundraiser to help, you know, raise money to be used for missions, to be able to support the work that they were doing down in wherever it is that they were going in their mission trips for that year. And they, so they did an auction. So they asked the church, like, hey, anybody, if you have things you want to donate, whether it's things you want to kind of give, like an item or uh, something nice or maybe a service or something that you could do, donate it, we'll auction it off, and all the money will go towards um, missions. So, you know, I, I don't know, this, you know so people would like bake a cake, right, really nice cake, and they would donate that. And then, you know, they would auction that off. Or somebody would say, oh, I'm a, I'm a good photographer, and I will give you a, a photography session if you, will, you know, if you will buy this, right? They would donate these services. And then, then people would bid, right? We raise our hands or like a little paddle or something, $25, $50, a soul to this person, you know, and, and we would do that. And I remember there was this um, one item that came up all of a sudden, uh, you know, midway through the auction. 
and it was for a shooting lesson. It was for a shooting lesson. There was a um, law enforcement professional at the church who was offering a um, private lesson that he would give to anybody as a law enforcement professional, like at a shooting range or something like that, for, you know, and, and he would do that, and he offered this. And I remember sitting there, and I saw this, you know, coming up, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'd like to try that. I'd like to learn what that's like, and, you know, like, I, I don't own a gun or anything like that. And I was like, yeah, that's interesting. I would like to do that. And I sat there, you know, so it's like bidding, right? You kind of want to wait. You want to see what things are like. And then I'm sitting there, I'm waiting. And the guy's like, okay, starting at $50. Who'd like to bid for this lesson? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody, right? I'm like, nobody's interested in this? Person's there like, hey, you know, he's a you know, law enforcement professional, professional marksman, like, you know, great lesson. Nobody. And it's just kind of waiting, you know, awkward auction. It seems like, oh, man, the thing that nobody wants. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to get this for 50 bucks. It's going to be so cheap. So I waited and waited and waited until it was almost like time to move on to the next thing. And then I raised my paddle. It's 50 bucks. I'll take it, right? And it's like, oh, you know, $50 to Pastor Ulysses. Then all of a sudden, all these people, their paddles started going up. Right? Yes, $50 to Pastor Ulysses. Do I, do I see 75 Oh, 75 do, do, I, do I see 85 85 do I, do I see 100 100 And I'm, I'm sitting, I'm going like, what in the world, man? I was so mad. I was like, nobody wanted this. What's going on right now? It's like 100 125 150, 170, 200. I was like, ah, forget it. Forget it. I can't afford this. And I don't know, it went for like $200 or, or something like that at the end. I, I didn't get it. I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed, right? I was annoyed that I didn't get the shooting lesson, but I took away a very valuable 1 Corinthians 8 lesson that day. And, and I, was there, I was thinking about this. I was like, well, what's going on here? What happened? How did I get railroaded all of a sudden? Like, you know, what I, what I think happened was that there were all these people there who didn't know how they felt about a shooting lesson. They didn't know where they stood about guns or something or whatever it might be, right? They didn't know where they stood. I, I knew where I stood. I am all for intelligent, smart um, gun control laws. I think that's good for society. I don't own a firearm. I don't imagine I ever would own a firearm. But I'm okay if people want to go to a shooting range. I'm okay with people who hunt. Like, ideally, I think it'd be good if they took what they killed and bring it home and ate it. Not like Rambo out there or something like that. If that happens, right? You, you kill something, you bring it home, you eat it. I'm okay with marksmanship in the Olympics, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics. I'm okay with those things. Um, I, I knew where I stood. I was okay with my knowledge of the scriptures and, and where I stood, my convictions. I was okay with bidding for that. But I knew that there were a lot of people who did not have knowledge. They did not know where they stood. But as, they, as soon as they saw another Christian, and not just another Christian, but Pastor Ulysses in the church raised his paddle, they took that as covering fire, pun intended, to be like, oh, I can do that too. I guess it must be okay. I guess it must be okay. And I, I realized that. Day. I was like, wow. Man, I gotta be really, I, got, I don't know. I gotta be careful.
know about this. I got to really think about this. I know where I stand. I've thought through these things. But there are a lot of people here who probably didn't, and they were just emulating me. Ulysses is in the temple firing range. I can go into the temple firing range. And, and I don't know where that leads for them. I don't know if Romans 14, they're not doing it in faith and if that's a problem. But I realize what I do has an impact. I need to be careful about what I do and how other people may emulate that and the influence that I have on other people. As a pastor, I'm, I need to think more about how I spend my money. I need to think more about the things that I say. I need to think more about the way that I treat my wife. I need to think more about the way that I treat my kids because people may be looking at that and they may emulate that. But it's, it's not just me, just because I'm a pastor, but it's all of us, brothers and sisters, because all of us, in the way that we live, the decisions that we make, the way we exercise our quote-unquote rights, it has an impact. It influences the people around us. It does. We can't help that. Someone once said that you are the average of your five closest friends. I think that's true. And I think in the church as well, we're the average, so to speak, of our community. And the things that we see our community doing speak to us about what is okay and what is not okay. And sometimes people who may be weaker, more immature, or maybe have former association with things, difficulty from their past in certain things, can get impacted by what we do. And we need to think about that. You know, it's not just me that needs to think about money. All of you do. All of you do. Now, we have a right to have money, right? You have that right. Bible doesn't say you need to take a vow of poverty if you're a Christian. It doesn't say that you need to sell all that you have in order to follow Jesus. It doesn't say that. You can have money. You can have nice things. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It does say you need to be generous. You should love your neighbor. You should realize that you are a steward of all that God has given you. But it doesn't say you can't have nice things. But at the same time, we need to think, what, what if I, in my exercising of my rights, am I, you know, let's say I just, I just am covered, you know, my outfits are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. My car is over $100,000. My, my house, my, everything that I have and my lifestyle. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's not okay. Okay? If, if God really makes it okay for you, invite me over. You know, take me for a ride in your car. This is not legalism. But what is important, the principle here is love says you need to think about what message are you sending to those around you? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but in Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area here, you think there might be a few people around us or in this room that might struggle with materialism or putting God before money or not loving the world? You think there might be some people like that in this room? Absolutely. So we do need to be thoughtful about how we live and what that says to those around us. Maybe another example. Nowadays, for a lot of people more and more, remote work is something that's a reality, right? For many people, not everybody, but for more and more people, you don't have to go into the office all that much. For some people, you don't have to go into the office at all. So you could literally work anywhere. You could work anywhere in the world as long as you could deal with the time zone change and, and whatever, you get up early or stay up late. You could work anywhere. Now people are working all over the place. And you could be at our church and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, go rent a, a cabin in Tahoe. I'm going to go work there for two months. And then I'll come back to renewal here for a month. 
Then I'm going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to go work there for a few months. Then I'm going to come back to Renewal for a few months. Then I'm going to go down to SoCal for a few months. Then I'm going to come up here. You could do that. There's no law against that. Hebrew says, do not neglect meeting together. Don't fall into that habit. But it doesn't say you need to be here 75%, 80% of your Sundays. You need to be, it doesn't say anything like that. There's no law written in there. But at the same time, we need to think, if you were to live that lifestyle, what does that say to my brothers and sisters around me here? What does it say about what community is? What does it say about how important community is? What does it say about how important it is to be together enough to be able to open up and really share our lives together, really get to know each other, to carry each other's burdens, to really love each other? What does that type of lifestyle say about it? Now, again, please don't misunderstand me. This is not legalism. There's no percentages here. There's no number of Sundays. There's nothing like that. But no person is an island. How we, we do not live in a vacuum. And Paul is saying, you know what real maturity, as you mature as a Christian, it doesn't say it's about my, we don't say it's about my rights. And, and hey, you, you worry about yourself, don't worry about me. Paul's saying that's immature. Really, knowledge leads to love. And this is what love looks like. Love takes care. Takes care with my rights, my quote-unquote rights, to not stumble others, to not destroy my brother or my sister, to not wound their conscience. Love takes care to be thoughtful about their former associations, the things that they may struggle with more than me, the things that maybe they haven't thought through in the same way that I have. Love takes care to think and to realize that I am living in community. And, and Paul says, look, if to really, really, he drives us home. He says, thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. He's saying, you know, when we do this, it's not just like a, a you thing. You sin against your brother or your sister when you do this. Oh, but they're weak. Oh, but that's because of his past. Why do I have to be bothered with that? Oh, can't he read the Bible and understand it more and have more knowledge? No. When you sin against your brother, when you do not take care to think about them, you're sinning against them. And you actually end up sinning against Christ because Christ died for this brother and sister of yours. He died for them. They are a part of the body of Christ. And when you do not consider them in how you live, you're sinning against Jesus. That's how important this is. So Paul here at the end, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul is, now that sounds like an extreme statement, but it is true. I really believe Paul meant this with all of his heart. He's saying, you know, meat, my right to eat meat is not all important. It is not ultimate. My rights are not ultimate. If, my, if the exercise of my rights are going to stumble or hurt other people, I am willing to be vegetarian for the rest of my life. I'm willing to let go of this right forever if it means it's going to stumble people. That's maturity. That's somebody who understands it's not about me. Love takes care. Con 
considers all those around me and seeks and thinks about the way that I live so that my life builds up those around me and doesn't tear them down. Again, when we, maybe it can seem like a hassle or an inconvenience. Why can't these people know better, learn more, get over their past? You know, think about how often, how many times God could have said that to us and how he could still say that to you today. Maybe he could say to you, what? You still don't love reading my word? What? You still don't pray regularly to me? What? You're still struggling with lust? You're still struggling with jealousy? You're still struggling with pride? Haven't you learned about this? Didn't you hear a sermon about that 10 years ago? Haven't you read Bible verses and been to retreats? Don't you know all this stuff already? What's wrong with you? But does God do that to us? God is so patient, isn't he? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is so patient with us in our weakness. So patient to build us up and not tear us down. And this is, Jesus showed us the ultimate example of what this looks like. He had every right in the heavenly realms to say, I'm not putting on human flesh. I'm not going to experience hunger as a, as a human being. I'm not going to get dirty, walk on streets and get dung on my feet. I'm not going to have people spit at me and mock me. I'm not going to be physically flogged and hung on a cross. No. He had every right to say no, no, no to all of those things. But Jesus laid down those rights. He said, those rights are, are not what I'm holding on to. What he held on to was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Out of love, he laid down his rights so that we would not be destroyed but so that we could be loved Let's stand together. Let's pray. God, we come before you this day, and Lord, we pray that you would forgive us, God, for the ways in which we do think that we live in a vacuum or the ways that we exercise our rights, but we don't take care to think about the impact that we're having on those around us. And it's probably not about going into a temple and eating food sacrificed. But Lord, forgive us that we don't think as much about just even our lifestyle and what it says to those around us, what it says about what is important what it says about what it means to be a Christian, the things that we talk about all the time, the things that we spend our money on, the things that we are pursuing. Lord God, forgive us if we have not been mindful to take care of the message that we are sending to those around us. God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with greater love, Lord, 
love God for our neighbors, love for the brothers and sisters around us, love for those for whom Christ died. And if Jesus, you died for them, then we will give everything. We will do everything we can. We will bend over backwards to build them up, to truly build them up and not tear them down, to be thoughtful and mindful. God, may our heart cry be, God, help me to live in a way that the light that shines out of me brings brightness in the life of those around me. I don't even want to be neutral. I don't want to just be another person in the life of this person, my brother or sister. I want to be a force for good. I want to be an influence for good. I want them to emulate me, and when they emulate me, they become more like Jesus. I want love to be the rule in my life, God. Oh, Lord, help us not to be a legalistic church. May we break free of legalism and the law. And may love become so deeply ingrained. Love will show us the way. Love will show us when to surrender, even meat, that we can gladly and joyfully become vegetarian if we needed to and not feel like it's legalism. But man, I'm so glad that this builds up my brother. It helps him. It helps her. It gives them time gives them the space that they need to grow closer to God. Can we just um, take a moment together right now? Before we go into the, into the worship, can we just pray? God, can we let this be our prayer. God, help me to have my life be less about me and more about you and more about loving those around me. And maybe you want to repent a little bit. Maybe you, you need to pray, God, yeah, it's been just about me and my pursuits and trying to really make something of myself and I, I want to I be, I want the knowledge to lead to love for you and for those around me. Can we take a couple of minutes and just pray and bring our hearts before God right now before we enter into worship? Let's take this moment. Don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let this, all the words I've been speaking, just be knowledge and you walk out of day and it's just another thing you heard. Pray, ask God, let this become love. Let this result in something in me, right? A change, an impact. Let's take a couple minutes to ask God to ingrain that, this love into our hearts.